Section 20 of Four and Twenty Fairy Tales. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Story of the Beauty and the Beast by Madame de Verneuve. Translated by James Blanchy. Part 2 During these brief yet lingering leave-takings, the good man, harried by his daughter, had mounted his horse. She placed herself behind him with as much alacrity as though she were going to make an agreeable journey. The animal rather flew than walked, but this extreme speed did not inconvenience her in the least. The paces of this singular horse were so gentle that Beauty felt no more shaken by him than she would have been by the breath of a zephyr. In vain, during the journey, did her father offer a hundred times to allow her to dismount, and to go himself alone to find the beast. Consider, my dear child, said he, there is still time. This monster is more terrible than thou canst imagine. However firm thy resolution may be, I cannot but fear it will fail on beholding him. Then it will be too late. Thou wilt be lost, and we shall both perish together. If I went, replied Beauty, to seek this terrible beast with the hope of being happy, it is not impossible that that hope would fail me at the sight of him. But as I reckon on a speedy death, and believe it to be unavoidable, what does it signify whether he who shall destroy me be agreeable or hideous? Conversing thus, night closed around them, but the horse went quite as fast in the darkness. It was, however, suddenly dispiated by a most unexpected spectacle. This was caused by the discharge of all kinds of beautiful fireworks, flower pots, catherine wheels, suns, bouquets, which dazzled the eyes of our travellers. This agreeable and unlooked-for illumination lighted up the entire forest and diffused a gentle heat through the air, which has become desirable, for the cold in this country was more keenly felt in the night than by day. By this charming light, the father and daughter found themselves in an avenue of orange trees. At the moment that they entered it, the fireworks ceased. The illumination was, however, continued by all the statues, having in their hands lighted torches. Besides these, lamps without number covered the front of the palace, symmetrically arranged in forms of true lovers' knots and crowded ciphers consisting of double L's and double B's. On entering the court, they were received by a salute of artillery, which added to the sound of a thousand instruments of various kinds. Some soft, some warlike, had a fine effect. The beast must be very hungry indeed, said Beauty, half jestingly, to make such a grand rejoicing at the arrival of his prey. However, in spite of her agitation at the approach of an event which, according to all appearance, 
was about to be fatal to her. She could not avoid paying attention to the magnificent objects which succeeded each other, and presented her to her view the most beautiful spectacle she had ever seen, nor help saying to her father that the preparations for her death were more brilliant than the bridal pomp of the greatest king in the world. The horse stopped at the foot of the flight of steps. She alighted quickly, and her father, as soon as he had put foot to the ground, conducted her by vestibule to the saloon in which he had been so well entertained. They found there a large fire, lighted candles which emitted an exquisite perfume, and, above all, a table splendidly served. The good man, accustomed to the manner in which the beast regaled his guests, told his daughter that this repast was intended for them, and that they were at liberty to avail themselves of it. Beauty made no difficulty, well persuaded that it would not hasten her death. On the contrary, she imagined that it would make known to the beast the little repugnance she had felt in coming to see him. She hoped that her frankness might be capable of softening him, and even that her adventure might be less sad than she had first apprehended. The formidable monster with which she had been menaced did not show himself, and the whole palace spoke of joy and magnificence. It appeared that her arrival had caused these demonstrations, and it did not seem probable that they could have been designed for a funeral ceremony. Her hope did not last long, however. The monster made himself heard, a frightful noise, caused by the innumerous weight of his body, by the terrible clank of his scales, and an awful roaring, announced his arrival. Terror took possession of beauty. The old man, embracing his daughter, uttered piercing cries, but recovering herself in a moment, she suppressed her agitation. Seeing the beast approach, whom she could not behold without a shudder, she advanced with a firm step, and with a modest air saluted him very respectfully. This behavior pleased the monster. After having contemplated her, he said to the old man, in a tone which, without being one of anger, might, however, fill with terror the boldest heart, Good evening, my good friend. And turning to Beauty, he said also to her, Good evening, Beauty. The old man, fearing every instant that something awful would happen to his daughter, had not the strength to reply, but Beauty, without agitation, and in a sweet and firm voice, said, Good evening, Beast. Do you come here voluntarily? inquired the Beast, and... Will you consent to let your father depart without following him? Beauty replied that she had no other intention. Ah, and what do you think will become of you after his departure? What it may please you, said she. My life is at your disposal, and I submit blindly to the fate which you may doom me to. I am satisfied with your submission, replied the beast and as it appears that they have not brought you here by force you shall remain with me as for thee good man 
said he to the merchant, Thou shalt depart tomorrow at daybreak. The bell will warn you. Delay not after thy breakfast. The same horse will reconduct thee. But, added he, when thou shalt be in the midst of thy family, dream not of revisiting my palace, and remember it is forbidden thee forever. You, beauty, continued the monster, addressing her, conduct your father into the adjoining wardrobe, and choose anything which both of you think will give pleasure to your brothers and sisters. You will find two trunks, fill them. It is right that you should send them something of sufficient value to oblige them to remember you. In spite of the liberality of the monster, the approaching departure of her father sensibly affected Beauty, and caused her extreme grief. However, she determined to obey the beast, who quitted them, after having said, as he had done on entering, Good night, Beauty. Good night, good man. When they were alone, the good man, embracing his daughter, wept without ceasing. The idea of leaving her with the monster was a most cruel trial to him. He repented having brought her into that place. The gates were open. He wished to lead her away again. But beauty impressed upon him the danger and the consequences of such a proceeding. They entered the wardrobe, which had been indicated to them. They were surprised at the treasures it contained. It was filled with apparel so superb that a queen could not wish for anything more beautiful or in better taste. Never was a warehouse better filled. When Beauty had chosen the dresses she thought the most suitable, not to the present situation of the family, but proportioned to the riches and liberality of the beast, who was the donor, she opened a press, the door of which was of rock crystal, mounted in gold, Although such a magnificent exterior prepared her to find it contained some rare and precious treasures, she saw such a mass of jewels of all kinds that her eyes could hardly support the brilliancy of them. Beauty, from a feeling of obedience, took without hesitation a prodigious quantity, which she divided as well as she could amongst the lots she had already made. On opening the last cabinet, which was no less than a cabinet filled with pieces of gold, she changed her mind. I think, said she to her father, that it would be better to empty these trucks and to fill them with coin, which you can give to your children according to your pleasure. By these means you will not be obliged to confine your secret to anyone, and your riches will be possessed by you without danger. The advantage that you would drive from the possession of these jewels, although their value might be more considerable, would be attended by inconvenience. In order to profit by them, you would be forced to sell them, and to trust them to persons who would only look on you with envious eyes. Your confidence in them might even prove fatal to you, whilst gold pieces of current coin will place you, continued she beyond the reach of any misfortune, by giving you the means of acquiring land and houses, and purchasing rich furniture, ornaments, and precious stones. The father approved her forethought, but wishing to take for his daughters some dresses and ornaments, in order to make room for them, as well as the gold, 
He took out of the trunks what he had selected for his own use. The great quantity of gold which he put in did not fill them, however. They were composed of folds which stretched at pleasure. He found room for the jewels which he had displaced, and in fact these trunks contained more than he could even wish for. So much money, said he to his daughter, will place me in a position to sell my jewels at my own convenience. Following thy counsel, I will hide my wealth from the world and even from my children. If they knew me to be as rich as I shall be, they would torment me to abandon my country life, which, however, is the sole one wherein I have found happiness, and not experience the perfidy of false friends with whom the world is filled. But the trunks were so immensely heavy that an elephant would have sunk under their weight, and the hope which he had begun to cherish appeared to him a dream and nothing more. The beast mocks us, said he, and feigns to give me wealth, which he makes it impossible for me to carry away. Suspend your judgment, replied Beauty. You have not provoked his liberality by any indiscreet request, nor by any greedy or interest looks. Raillery would be without point. I think, as the monster has bestowed it on you, that he will certainly find the means of allowing you to enjoy it. We have only to close the trunks and leave them here. No doubt he knows by what coach to send them. Nothing could be more prudent than this advice. The good man, conformably to it, re-entered the saloon with his daughter, seated together on the sofa. They saw the breakfast instantly served. The father ate with more appetite than he had done the preceding night. That which had come to pass had diminished his despair and revived his confidence. He would have departed without concern if the beast had not had the cruelty to make him understand that he must not dream of seeing his palace again, and that he must wish his daughter an eternal farewell. There is no evil but death without remedy. The good man was not completely stunned by disorder. He flattered himself that it would not be irrevocable, and this hope prepared him to quit his host with tolerable satisfaction. Beauty was not so well satisfied, little persuaded that a happy future was prepared for her. She feared that the rich presence with which the monster loaded her family was but the price of her life, and that he would devour her immediately, that he should be alone with her, or at least that a perpetual prison would be her fate, and that her only companion would be this frightful monster. This reflection plunged her into profound reverie, but a second stroke of the bell warned them that it was time to separate. They descended into the court, where the father found two horses, the one loaded with the two trunks and the other destined for himself, the latter covered with a good cloak and the saddle having two bags attached to it, full of refreshments, was the same which he had ridden before. So much attention on the part of the beast again supplied them with subject of conversation, but the horses, neighing and stamping with their hoofs, made known to them that it was time to part. The merchant, afraid of irritating the beast by his delay, bade his daughter an eternal farewell. The two horses set off faster than the wind, and Beauty instantly lost sight of them. She mounted in tears to the chamber which was appropriated to her.
where for some time she was lost in sad reflections. At length, being overcome with sleep, she felt a wish to seek repose, which during a month past she had not enjoyed. Having nothing better to do, she was about to go to bed, when she perceived on the table a service of chocolate prepared. She took it, half asleep, and her eyes almost immediately closed. She fell into quiet slumber, which since the moment she had received the fatal rose had been unknown to her. During her sleep she dreamt that she was on the bank of a canal, a long way off, the two sides of which were ornamented with two rows of orange trees, and flowering myrtles of immense size, were engrossed with her sad situation. She lamented the misfortune which condemned her to pass her days in this place without hope of ever leaving it. A young man, beautiful as Cupid, is painted in a voice which touched her heart, then said, Do not, beauty, believe thou wilt be as unhappy as it now appears to thee. It is in this place that thou wilt receive the recompense which they had elsewhere unjustly denied thee. Let thy penetration assist thee to extricate me from the appearance which disguises me. Judge in seeing me if my company is compatible, and ought not to be preferred to a family unworthy of thee. Wish, and all thy desires shall be fulfilled. I love thee tenderly. Thou alone canst bestow happiness on me by being happy thyself. Never deny me this excelling all other women as far in the qualities of thy mind as thou excellence them in beauty, we shall be perfectly happy together. This charming apparition, then kneeling at her feet, made her the most flattering promises in the most tender language. He pressed her in the warmest terms to consent to his happiness and assured her that she should be entirely her own mistress. What can I do? said she to him with eagerness. Follow the first impulse of gratitude, said he. Judge not by thine eyes, and above all, abandon me not, but release me from the terrible torment which I endure. After this first dream, she fancied she was in a magnificent cabinet with a lady whose majestic mien and surprising beauty created in her heart a feeling of profound respect. This lady said to her in an affectionate tone, Charming beauty, regret not that thou hast left. A more illustrious fate awaits thee, and if thou wouldst deserve it, beware of allowing thyself be prejudiced by appearances. Her sleep lasted more than five hours, during which time she saw the young man in a hundred different places and under a hundred different circumstances. Sometimes he offered her a fine entertainment. Sometimes he made the most tender protestations to her. How pleasant her sleep was! She would have wished to prolong it, but her eyes, open to the light, could not be induced to close again. And beauty believed she had only had an agreeable dream. A clock struck twelve, repeating twelve times her own name which obliged her to rise. She then saw a toilet table covered with everything necessary for a lady. After having dressed herself with a feeling of pleasure, 
of which she did not imagine the cause, she passed into the saloon where her dinner was served. When one eats alone, a repast is very soon over. On returning to her chamber, she threw herself on the sofa. The young man of whom she had dreamt again presented himself to her thoughts. I can make thy happiness. Where his word? Probably this horrible beast, who appears to command all here, keeps him in prison. How can he be extricated? They repeated to me that I was not to be deceived by appearances. I understand nothing. <laughs> How foolish I am. I amuse myself by seeking for reasons to explain an illusion formed by sleep and which my awaking has destroyed. I ought not to pay attention to it. I must only occupy myself with my present fate and seek such amusements as will prevent my being overcome by melancholy. Shortly afterwards, she began to wander through the numerous apartments of the palace. She was enchanted with them, having never seen anything so beautiful. The first that she entered was a large cabinet of mirrors. She saw herself reflected in all sides. At length, a bracelet suspended to a girandole caught her sight. She found on it the portrait of the handsome cavalier, just as she had seen him in her sleep. How was it she recognized him immediately? His features were already too deeply impressed on her mind, and perhaps in her heart. With joyful haste, she placed the bracelet on her arm, without reflecting whether this action was correct. From this cabinet, having passed into a gallery full of pictures, she there found the same portrait, the size of life which appeared to regard her with such tender attention that she coloured as if this picture had been the person himself or that she had had witnesses of her thoughts continuing her walk she found herself in a saloon filled with different kinds of instruments knowing how to play on almost all she tried several preferring the harpsichord to the others because it was a better accompaniment for the voice from this saloon she entered another gallery corresponding to that in which were the paintings. It contained an immense library. She liked reading, and since her surgeon to the country she had been deprived of this pleasure. Her father, by the confusion of his affairs, had found himself obliged to sell his books. Her great taste for study could be easily satisfied in this place and would guarantee her against the dullness consequent on solitude the day passed before she could see everything at the approach of night all the apartments were illuminated by perfumed wax lights placed in lustrous either transparent or of different colors and not of crystal but made of diamonds and rubies at the usual hour beauty found her supper served with the same delicacy and neatness as before no human figure presented itself to her view her father had told her she would be alone this solitude began no longer to trouble her when the beast made himself heard never having yet found herself alone with him ignorant how this interview would pass off fearing even that he only came to devour her is it any wonder that she trembled but on the arrival of the beast whose approach was by no means furious her fears were dissipated 
This monster giant said roughly, Good evening, Beauty. She returned his salutation in the same terms, with a calm air, but a little tremulously. Amongst the different questions which the monster put to her, he asked how she amused herself. Beauty replied, I have passed the day in expecting your palace, but it is so vast that I have not had time to see all the apartments and the beauties which it contains. The beast asked her, Do you think you can get accustomed to living here? The girl replied politely that she could live without trouble in so beautiful an abode. After an hour's conversation, Beauty discovered that the terrible tone of his voice was attributable only to the nature of the organ, and that the beast was more inclined to stupidity than to ferocity. At length, he asked her bluntly if she would marry him. At this unexpected demand, her fears were renewed, and uttering a terrible shriek, she could not help exclaiming, Oh, heavens, I'm lost. Not at all replied the beast quietly but without frightening yourself reply properly say precisely yes or no beauty replied trembling no beast well as you object i will leave you replied the docile monster good evening beauty good evening beast said the frightened girl with much satisfaction extremely relieved by finding that she had no violence to fear, she lay quietly down and went to sleep. Immediately, her dear unknown returned to her mind. He appeared to say to her tenderly, How overjoyed I am to see you once more, dear beauty. But what pain has your severity caused me? I know that I must expect to be unhappy for a long time. Her ideas again changed. The young man appeared to offer her a crown, and sleep presented him to her in a hundred different manners. Sometimes he seemed to be at her feet, sometimes abandoning himself to the most excessive delight, at others shedding a torrent of tears, which touched the depths of her soul. This mixture of joy and sadness lasted all the night. On waking, Having her imagination full of this dear object, she thought for his portrait, to compare it once more with her recollections, and to see if she were not deceived. She ran to the picture gallery, where she recognized him still more perfectly. How long she was admiring him, but feeling ashamed of her weakness, she contented herself at length by looking at the miniature on her arm. At length, to put an end to these tender reflections, she descended into the garden, the fine weather seeming to invite her to a stroll. Her eyes were enchanted. They had never seen anything in nature so beautiful. The groves were ornamented with admirable statues and numerous fountains, which cooled the air and shot up to such a height that the eye could scarcely follow them. What surprised her the most was that she recognized the places wherein she had dreamt she had seen the unknown, especially at the sight of the Grand Canal, bordered with orange and myrtle trees. She could not but think of her vision, 
which appeared no longer a fiction. She thought to explain the mystery by imagining that the beast kept someone shut up in his palace. She resolved to be enlightened on the subject that same evening and to question the monster, from whom she expected a visit at the usual hour. She walked for the rest of the day, as long as her strength permitted, without being able to see all. The apartments, which she had not been able to inspect the evening before, were no less worthy of her admiration than the others. Besides the instruments and the curiosities with which she was surrounded, she found in another cabinet plenty to occupy her. It was filled with purses and shuttles for knotting, scissors for cutting out, and fitted up for all sorts of ladies' work. In fact, everything was to be found there. In this gallery, care had been taken to place a cage filled with rare birds, all of which, on the arrival of Beauty, formed an admirable concert. They came also and preached on her shoulders, and these loving little creatures vied with each other as to which should nestle closest to her. Amiable prisoners, said she, I think you charming, and am vexed that you should be so far from my apartment. I should often like the pleasure of hearing you sing. What was her surprise, when, as she said these words, she opened a door and found herself in her own chamber, which she believed was very distant from this gallery, having only arrived in it after turning and threading a labyrinth of apartments which composed this pavilion. A panel, which had concealed from her the neighborhood of the birds, opened into the gallery and was very convenient, as it completely shut out the noise of them when quiet was desirable. Beauty, continuing her route, perceived another feathered group, these were parrots of all kinds and of all colors. All at her approach began to chatter, and one said, Good day, to her. The other asked her for some breakfast. One more gallant begged a kiss. Several sang opera airs. Others exclaimed verses composed by the best authors, and all exerted themselves to entertain her. They were as gentle and as affectionate as the inhabitants of this aviary. Their presence was a real pleasure to her. She was delighted to find something she could talk with, for silence was not agreeable to her. She put several questions to some of them, who answered her like very intelligent creatures. She selected one from amongst them as the most amusing. The others, jealous of this preference, complained sadly she consoled them by some caresses and the permission to pay her a visit whenever they pleased. Not far from this spot, she saw a numerous troop of monkeys of all size, great and small, sapajous, some with human faces, others with beards, blue, green, black, and crimson. They advanced to meet her at the door of their apartment, which she had by chance arrived at. They made her low bows, accompanied by countless capers, and testified by action how highly sensible they were of the honor she had done them. To celebrate her visit, they danced upon the tight rope, 
and bounded about with the skill and agility beyond example. Beauty was much pleased with the monkeys, but she was disappointed at not finding anything which could enlighten her respecting the handsome unknown. Losing all hope of doing so, and looking upon her dream as altogether an illusion, she did her best to drive the recollection of it from her mind. But her efforts were vain. She praised the monkeys, and caressing them, said she should like some of them to follow her and keep her company. Instantly, two tall young apes in court dresses, who appeared to have been only waiting for her orders, advanced and placed themselves with great gravity beside her. Two sprightly little monkeys took up her train as her pages. A facetious baboon, dressed as a Spanish gentleman of the chamber, presented his paw to her, very neatly gloved, and accompanied by this single cortege. Beauty proceeded to the supper table. During her meal, the smaller birds whistled in perfect tune, an accompaniment to the voices of the parrots, who sang the finest and most fashionable airs. During the concert, the monkeys, who had taken upon themselves the right of attending upon Beauty, having in an instant settled their several ranks and duties, commenced their service and waited on her in full state, with all the attention and respect that officers of a royal household are accustomed to pay to queens. On rising from table, another troop proceeded to entertain her with a novel spectacle. They were a sort of company of actors who played a tragedy in the most extraordinary fashion. These senor monkeys and senora apes in stage dresses covered with embroidery, furs, and diamonds executed all the actions suitable to the wares of their parts, which were spoken with great distinctness and proper emphasis by the parrots, so cleverly, indeed, that it was necessary to be assured that these birds were concealed in the wig of one actor or under the mantle of another, not to believe that these new fashion tragedies were speaking themselves. The drama appeared to have been written expressly for the actors, and Beauty was enchanted. At the end of the tragedy, one of the performers advanced and paid Beauty a very well-turned compliment, and thanked her for the indulgence with which she had listened to them. All then departed, except the monkeys of her household, and those selected to keep her company. After supper, the beast paid her his usual visit, and after the same questions and the same answers, the conversation ended with, Good night, beauty. The lady apes of the bedchamber undressed their mistress, put her to bed, and took care to open the window of the aviary, that the birds, by warbling much softer than their songs by day, might induce slumber, and afford her the pleasure of again beholding her lover. Several days passed without her experiencing any feeling of dullness. Every moment brought with it fresh pleasures. The monkeys in three or four lessons succeeded, each one in teaching a parrot, who, acting as an interpreter, replied to Beauty's questions with as much promptitude and accuracy as the monkeys themselves.
had done by gestures. In fine, Beauty found nothing to complain of but the obligation of enduring every evening the presence of the beast. But his visits were short, and it was undoubtedly to him that she was in debt for the enjoyment of all imaginable amusements. The gentleness of the monster occasionally inspired Beauty with the idea of asking some explanation respecting the person she saw in her dreams, but sufficiently aware that he was in love with her, and fearing by such a questioning to awaken his jealousy, she had the prudence to remain silent, and did not venture to satisfy her curiosity. By degrees she had visited every apartment in this enchanted palace, but one willingly returns to the inspection of things which are rare, singular, and costly. Beauty turned her steps towards a great saloon, which she had only seen once before. This room had four windows in it. On each side, two only were open, and admitted a glimmering light. Beauty wished for more light, but in lieu of obtaining any by opening another window, she found it only looked into some enclosed space, which, although large, was obscure, and her eyes could distinguish nothing but a distant gleam, which appeared to reach them through the medium of a very thick crape. Whilst pondering for what purpose this place could have been designed, she was suddenly dazzled by a brilliant illumination. The curtain rose and discovered to beauty a theatre, exceedingly well lighted on the benches and in the boxes she beheld all that was most handsome and well made of either sex a sweet symphony which instantly commenced terminated only to permit other actors than monkey and parrot performers to represent a very fine tragedy which was followed by a little piece quite equal in its own style to that which had preceded it beauty was fond of plays it was the only pleasure she had regretted when she left the city desiring to ascertain what sort of material the hangings of the box next to her were made of she found herself prevented doing so by a glass which separated them and thereby discovered that what she had seen were not the actual objects but a reflection of them by means of this crystal mirror which thus conveyed to her sight all that was passing on the stage of the finest city in the world. It is a masterstroke in optics to be able to reflect from such a distance. She remained in her box some time after the play was over, in order to see the fine company go out. The darkness that gradually ensued compelled her to think of other matters. Satisfied with this discovery, of which she promised to avail herself often, she descended into the gardens. Prodigies were becoming familiar to her. She rejoiced to find they were all performed for her advantage and amusement. After supper, the beast came, as usual, to ask her what she had been doing during the day. Beauty gave him an exact account of all her amusements and told him she had been to the play. Do you like it? inquired the dull creature wish for whatever you please you shall have it you are very handsome beauty smiled to herself at the coarse manner in which he paid her compliment but what she did not smile at was the usual question and the words 
will you marry me? Put an end to her good humour. She had only to answer, no. But nevertheless, his docility during this last interview did not reassure her. Beauty was alarmed at it. What is to be the end of all this? She said to herself, the question he puts to me every time, will I marry him? Proves that he persists in loving me. His bounty to me confirms it. But though he does not insist on my compliance, nor show any signs of resentment at my refusal, who will be answerable to me that he do not eventually lose his patience, and that my death will not be the consequence? These reflections rendered her so thoughtful it was almost daylight before she went to bed. The unknown, who but awaited that moment to appear, reproached her tenderly for her delay. He found her melancholy, lost in thought, and inquired what could have displeased her in such a place. She answered that nothing displeased her except the monster, whom she saw every evening. She should have become accustomed to him, but he was in love with her, and this love made her apprehensive of some violence. By the foolish compliments he pays me, said Beauty to her lover, I find he desires to marry me. Would you advise me to consent? Alas, were he as charming as he is frightful, you have rendered my heart inaccessible to him and to all others. And I do not blush to own that I can love no one but you. So sweet a confession could but flatter the unknown, yet he replied to her only by saying, Love him who loves you, do not be misled by appearances, and release me from prison. These words, continually repeated without any explanation, caused beauty infinite distress. What would you that I should do? said she to him. I would restore you to liberty at any price, but my desire is vain while you abstain from furnishing me with the means to put it in practice. The unknown made her some answer, but of so confused a nature that she could not comprehend it. A thousand extravagant fancies passed before her eyes. She saw the monster on a throne all blazing with jewels. He called to her and invited her to sit beside him. A moment afterwards, the unknown compelled him precipitately to descend and seated himself in his place. The beast, regaining the advantage, the unknown disappeared in his turn. He spoke to her behind a black veil, which changed his voice and rendered it horrible. All her sleep passed in this manner, and yet, notwithstanding the agitation it caused her, she felt it was too soon over, as her awakening deprived her of the sight of the object of her affections. After she had finished dressing, various sorts of work, books, and animals occupied her attention until the hour when the play began. She arrived just in time, but she was not at the same theatre. It was the opera, and the performance commenced as soon as she was seated. The spectacle was magnificent, and the spectators were not less so. The mirrors represented to her distinctly the most minute details of the dresses even of the people in the pit, delighted to behold human forms and faces, many of which she recognized as those of persons she knew. It would have been a still greater pleasure to her 
could she have spoken to them, so that they could have heard her. More gratified with this day's entertainment than with that of the preceding, the rest of it passed in the same way that each had done since she had been in that palace. The beast came in the evening, and after his visit she retired as usual. The night resembled former nights, that is, it was passed in agreeable dreams. When she awoke, she found the same number of domestics to wait upon her, but after dinner her occupations were different. The day before, on opening another of the windows, she had found herself at the opera. To diversify her amusements, she opened a third window, which displayed to her all the pleasures of the fair of Saint-Germain, much more brilliant than that it is at the present day. But as the hour had not quite arrived when the best company resorted to it, she had leisure to observe and examine everything. She saw the rarest curiosities, the most extraordinary productions of nature and works of art. The minutest trifles were visible to her. The puppet show was not unworthy of her attention. Whilst waiting for more refined entertainments, the comic opera was in its splendor. Beauty was very much delighted. At the termination of the performances, she saw all the well-dressed people visiting the tradesmen's shops. She recognized amongst the crowd several professional gamesters who flocked to this place as their workshop. She observed persons who, having lost their money by the cleverness of those they played with, went out with less joyous countenance than they exhibited as they entered. The prudent gamblers who did not stake their whole fortunes on the hazard of a card, who played to profit by their skill, could not conceal from beauty their sleight of hand. She longed to warn the victims of the tricks they were plundered by, but at a distance from them of more than a thousand leagues it was not in her power to do so. She heard and saw everything distinctly, without its being possible for her to make herself heard or seen by others. The reflections and echoes which conveyed to her all these sights and sounds had no returning power place her above the air and wind. Everything came to her like a thought. The consideration of this fact deterred her from making vain attempts. It was past midnight before she thought it was time to retire. The need of some refreshment might have hinted to her the lateness of the hour, but she had found in her box liqueurs and baskets filled with everything requisite for a collation. Her supper was light and of short duration. She was in a hurry to go to bed. The beast observed her impatience, and came merely to say good-night, that she might have more time to sleep, and unknown liberty to reappear. The following days resembled each other. She found in her windows an inexhaustible source of fresh entertainments. The first of the other three afforded her the pleasure of witnessing Italian comedy, the second a sight of the Tuileries the resort of all the most distinguished and handsome of both sexes. The last window was very far from being the least agreeable. It enabled her to see everything of consequence that was going on in the world. The scene was amusing and interesting in all sorts of ways. Sometimes it was the reception of a grand embassy, at others the marriage of some illustrious personages, and occasionally some exciting revolutions. 
She was at this window during the last revolt of the Janizaries, and witnessed the whole of it to the very end. At all times she was certain to find something here to entertain her. The weariness she had felt at first in listening to the beast had entirely departed. Her eyes had become accustomed to his ugliness. She was prepared for his foolish questions, and if their conversations had lasted longer, perchance she would have not been displeased. But four or five sentences, always the same, uttered in a coarse manner, and productive only of yes or no, were not much to her taste. At the slightest desires of beauty appeared to be anticipated, she bestowed more care upon her toilet, although certain that no one could see her, but she owned this attention to herself, and it was a pleasure to her to dress herself in the habits of all the various nations on the face of the earth. She could do this the more easily, as her wardrobe furnished her with everything she chose, and presented her every day with some nobility. Contemplating her mirror in these various dresses, it revealed to her that she was to be admired in all lands, and her attendant animals, each according to their talent, repeated to her unceasingly the same fact. The monkeys by their actions, the parrots by their language, and the other birds by their songs. End of section 20